0: Welcome to the third episode of The Normal World, a podcast where former elite athletes share their stories, not so much about their sports career, but about how they found their way back into normal life. Today's guest is Bert Dammers, and together we'll dive into the world of trampolining. We'll talk about where he started his trampolining career, how he overcame his injury at the World Championships in Paris, and his smooth transition into the normal world. I'm Anna Leitbacher, and welcome to The Normal World of Bert Dammers. Welcome. How are you?
1: Fine, thank you. Yeah. It's a rainy day so it's not a problem. Last week it was uh, a lot of snow and a lot of cold and I'm glad that uh, spring is coming.
0: Me too. It's a typical Dutch day I guess. Yes. For uh, for, <laughs> for winter. Absolutely. Yeah. We're gonna talk about trampolining today mm-hmm. uh, because that was your sport and yeah. um, can you tell me a bit about how you started with trampolining and what drawn you into the sport?
1: Well that's a really long time ago. Uh, my uncle was a trampolining coach and he did trampolining and uh, I used to—I was only three years old by that time. And he asked me to join him in a trampoline class. And uh, of course, many kids do like trampolining. If you go to a big playground, then you see always a lot of kids bouncing on a trampoline. So I went to the trampoline uh, w- with him. And uh, I started trampolining and, and I liked it a lot. And I was about six, seven, eight years old when I started trampolining. And I always did gymnastics before because gymnastics is a nice basic sport for, to start trampolining or any other acrobatic sport. And that's how I started into trampolining.
0: Can you describe the feeling as a little kid when you jumped on that trampoline? What, what's drawn you into that?
1: Not only as a little kid, but even nowadays, when I go on a trampoline and I start bouncing, oh, okay, my back hurts two days later, and I I, I will regret my choices. But in that kind, but it's always nice to go through the air and to be weightless for a small, tiny second, and and you make some somersaults and twists. I still can do that. Um, I mean, I'm almost fifty-three. And I still can do somersaults with twists on a trampoline. Oh,
0: that's amazing.
1: And, and when I, the students I teach, when I, they see me bouncing on a trampoline, they all say, oh, that old man, look at him. He's, he, he, he can really do it. it. It gives a good feeling.
0: I do recognize that. And mm-hmm. I always regret doing gymnastics for like, because I can't walk for two days. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, um, you were talking about when you were six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. you, you liked, liked the jumping at some point. The sport became more serious, I guess, and you started practicing maybe a bit more.
1: Yeah, um, I started first on a recreational level and um, uh, the local club coach asked me, do you want to join the, the, the higher
0: level, the, a higher
1: level, a more competition, uh, competition level. And well, yeah, you feel very flattered uh, that you are invited to do that. So I started training instead of once two ice a week and then three times a week and then four times a week and four times a week uh, became uh, the, the main team of, of, of the club and then suddenly you're competing in Dutch nationals and then uh, all of a sudden you're getting medals on Dutch national championships and then you got an invitation from the national coach to join the Dutch youth team and for me, th- there was not really a moment that you choose to do uh...
0: to practice more hours.
1: Yeah, to practice more, it goes very natural.
0: And did you feel like? Because, um, because, what's your definition of being an elite athlete? And do you think by then you felt like you were like practicing the sports in an elite way, or at what moment in time did you feel like this became very serious?
1: It became more serious when I had to say no to parties or to f- when friends invited me for birthday parties or whatever, and I couldn't go because I had a had a training or I was uh, I was training for the European Youth Championships. And when I was younger, I still combined trampolining always with gymnastics. Still, till what age? 16, I mean. Oh, really? I, re- I really oh, did a long time gymnastics combined with uh, trampolining. And if you, um, I really believe in um, multi discipline sports and sports which are close together, like gymnastics, trampolining, but also springboard diving and free aerial skiing. Because I competed in all those sports. Oh, wow. And I competed in Dutch national championships in all those sports. Those sports support each other in the basis of movement and and orientation through the air. Um, And it got more serious when I was invited to go to European Youth Championships or uh, my first uh, nation cup was against a, a province in Germany, Rhineland. And that's when I... Well, that's one of those moments I think that you can determine to be the key moments when it started being more serious.
0: You had to say no to a lot of things. Did you um, felt at the time that um, that was a big decision, that you took the sport very seriously? Was it a conscious decision?
1: No, it was not a conscious decision because, uh, like I told you, it was very smoothly... I rolled into the world of top sport, elite sports. And um, so it wasn't a really big decision. I liked it. I like to move and I like to play and I like to be on a trampoline. So it, it was just like if I was able to play more. That's how it felt. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, you had to say no to parties and things like that. But on the other end, the sport gave me a lot of... Positive things back because I was only 13, 14, 15 that I went abroad. That was in the time that there still was the Iron Curtain, the Eastern European countries, and I was I was able to look there. What's in the history books? I was able to see it by by myself, and uh, cool. and Berlin and 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 the guys with the Kalashnikovs on the watchtowers. I saw them in at at least 50 meters distance from me and that was really impressive so it gave me also a lot of benefits
0: and at some point because uh, you were talking about youth European games mm-hmm. at some point you progressed to the senior national yeah. team I guess uh,
1: then it was about I was 16 17 I, went, I was selected for the senior national team and in 1985 I competed in my first European championships in Groningen in the Netherlands. And, uh, yeah, that was my first senior major tournament. Uh, How
0: did it
1: went? Comme si, comme ça. wasn't a great uh, great performance over there. Uh, in synchronized trampolining, uh, I reached the finals, I fought. But I don't, I'm not sure about that anymore. But a year later, at World Championships in Paris, uh, in synchronized trampolining, we, I reached the finals. But... Shortly before the finals, I crashed and I broke both my wrists. Both my front teeth had a brain concussion and I was really seriously injured. But it was very well fixed at uh, by a, a, pri- a private, sur- private clinic in Paris. Uh, they, you
0: went for surgery in, in Paris? In Paris, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: And then uh, afterwards, on the way back, I was laying in, in, in the minivan of my dad and with my arms tied up to the roof... <laughs> And uh and so I went back to the Netherlands again. So
0: you had to completely do rehab for all the injuries.
1: Yeah, but it, I mean it was a broken bone the, the the wrist that that was the biggest problem. I mean, yeah, I had to go to a lot of dentist appointments. Oh yeah. Because my my front teeth were broken and uh a molar was broken. But that was annoying and I I don't Tell me a kid who does like the dentist. I don't. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, afterwards it was fixed. And and the problem was that short after that world championship, there was a European Championships in 1987 in Portugal. And the uh, qualifications were... Six, five, six months after I crashed from the trampoline in Paris.
0: You had only five months yeah. to recover. To
1: recover. So w- what I did was to stay fit and healthy. I went with both my arms into in, in a cast and uh, to, to over my elbow so I couldn't fl- flex and extend my elbows. And uh, I went to the gym and um, I, I came to that fitness center. I said hello, and my name is uh, Bear Dammers, and uh, I would like to train here. And they were rolling over the, <laughs> the over the floor from laughing. What do you mean? You can't do anything. Your arms are in casts. Yeah, I explained them. I had an accident, and I want to be fit and stay stay fit. As soon as the casts were taken off, that I could in had a minimum amount of time to be back on the trampoline again. So I did, and I qualified for the Europeans. And that at that same Europeans, I was about eighteenth place in sing- in individual trampolining or nineteenth, and uh, I b- reached the finals in synchronized trampolining. Wow! So it made me place six, seven, rank six, seven, eight, or something.
0: That's amazing. So you had a very speedy recovery. Yeah. So what, what kept you, because I know like injury for like an elite athlete is like worst, thing, worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. What kept you motivated during that time?
1: I liked the sport a lot. That's one. Um, what kept me motivated was I liked the school I was in. I, was in, uh, I, I studied for physical therapist by that time. And the class, I was in a class for elite athletes. There were hockey players, uh, football players. I was a trampolinist. They, all, uh, judokas. Uh, all kinds of athletes in one classroom. And so the, we only had to go to school through in the morning from 8 to 1. So in the afternoon you could train and in the evening you study. Or you study first and then train in the afternoon, in the evening. And uh, I liked that class a lot. Because if I had to, if I had to quit sports, then I had to get out of that class also and I liked the class a lot Uh, they were really good friends and it was for the first time in my life that I was in a group of people who really understand my hobby my sports my yeah my meaning of life
0: because they were all elite athletes yes yeah and you can share that passion and you understand each other absolutely yeah so that was what kept you motivated yeah. to stay in that group. Did it? And in the end, you went to, Europe, to the European Championship and it went really well.
1: Yeah. Uh, the best result I got on the European Championship was a fourth place in synchronized trampolining. Mm-hmm. And then, so all of a sudden, I finished my school as a physical therapist and then uh, I had to come to my military duty. In that time, uh, I was one of the last... Last guys who had to go to the military duty because many people uh, were already... Uh, cleared, I guess. Cleared, yes. Yeah. Cleared is the right word to do that. And um, But I liked it because I could work as a physical therapist for the Ministry the of Army. Defense. Oh, wow. So that gave me the possibility to get more to get experience as a physical therapist. And that was my new springboard my bounce to a working profession as a physical therapist
0: okay and did you practice the sport while being in the military as well
1: like Uh, trampolining uh, no I by that time I was already quitted with uh, trampolining and I switched to springboard diving because that's very close and similar to each other and uh, in the club I was training with, they wanted to use my knowledge about trampolining because trampolining is really the basic sport for springboard diving. So yeah. they wanted to use my knowledge about trampolining. And I would like to do that springboard diving. Because for me, that was a new thing. I mean, I, it, I, I like to, to flip around and to make somersaults and to make twists.
0: I completely recognize that. <laughs> and um, so you actually... When you quit trampolining, you just drew your passion into springboard diving. So you didn't actually quit as an athlete. Can I explain it like that?
1: Well, that's actually a very nice way of saying it, because actually I didn't quit as an athlete. No. And then uh, I also uh, did freestyle skiing Mm -hmm. in that time. Uh, so I went uh, on on a water ramp, and so you do somersaults from a water ramp, and then you land in the water. Oh wow! Very quickly, I could do a double somersault with full twist on a water ramp, or a triple front somersault. I, I was very quickly I managed those skills, and then they invited me to compete at the Dutch national championships <laughs> in the snow <laughs> in, uh, in 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 France. Yeah, and I was looking and. That really scared me off because the the kicker of the single Uh somersault was about almost two meters high at one meter 80. And then you're skiing on the ramp and you're flying through the air and then you're looking down and you see five meters, four, five, six meters of air and then you had to land on your skis. And I, I never had done that before. So I was really sitting in the snow looking to all those people doing aerial skiing and I was visualizing and imagining how what do I need to do not to crash or actually I change it what do I need to do to be sure that it goes okay I didn't have a negative thought I had a really positive if I do that that and that I'm 100% confident I land on my skis did you? And they did. Um, the first time a bit on the tail of the uh-huh. skis, so I land on my back and then slide down the, the, the ski ramp, the landing yeah. area. But after two attempts, I landed on my skis. And uh, then people told me, well, if you want to compete in the Dutch Nationals in in on ski, you have to do an extra skill. Well, is one skill not enough? No, yeah. you must have two different skills. Okay, if I can make a back somersault straight... I can also do a back somersault with full twist. Uh, in, my, in my mind, is that's the same. So I went on the back on uh, uh, back up in the snow. And I had to do a, a back myself with a full twist. It was really special that they let me do that because usually people needed to do, have a, a license on a, on a water ramp. Mm. If you have a license, you have enough experience in, in that skill on a water ramp, they get a license to train in snow. And then after you train it a lot in snow, you get a license to show the skill in competition.
0: But you skipped all of that.
1: I skipped all of that and <laughs> I went straight to the competition. And uh, I landed. It was fair. It was really fun.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. At some point, um, I, I guess your duty in the army was, was over. Yeah. And then did you still were active in the sport as no. an athlete?
1: Not as an athlete anymore, but then as a coach.
0: As a coach. How yeah. did that transition go from athlete to coach?
1: Also very smoothly because I was already always standing besides a trampoline in training hours where I had to train myself. Uh, no, when I was actually training, and then if the coach was not there and there was another someone else on the trampoline and they did some a certain skill or a series of skills, and then I coached them, hey, you have to do a little bit more than that, look at your head or look at your arms or look at this to make it better. Because I was I had the experience of being competing in the European and World Championships. And yeah. Obviously, it is a certain talent of coaching people.
0: Definitely, yeah. So you um, went to a club to coach or Mm -hmm. or how did that that go? Yeah,
1: my own club. And then it was in that time, there was a combination of being uh, a club coach into trampolining and coaching in diving and training diving myself. And then afterwards, it was my final year in my physical therapy education and that final year I went to Hirnveen in then up in the north of the Netherlands because a fellow coach was pregnant and so I took over all the all the trainings over there and that was actually the way I rolled into coaching it was more and more coaching uh, goes very autom- very smoothly because you had a certain talent and people like what you coach and people like your coaching style yeah that's how it how it went. What I really liked, for example, was uh, my unorthodox way of coaching um, into diving When I went into diving, I used the trampoline to support my diving skills that's was i that's why I was able to compete in the military world championships of diving in two years and then I got three younger children, two boys and a girl and i was uh, they told me Bert. This boy, these two boys and this girl, you are allowed to do whatever you want to coach them into diving. Make them, make them, make them good divers. Okay. Um, so what I did was I only let them dive once a week. Okay. But I let them play on a trampoline four times a week or three times a week. Because I like that. And I see the fun they had in their eyes, and if they learn on the trampoline, so I learn them a lot of somersaults and things on the, Because if you do in diving training, you dive into the water, mm-hmm. then you swim to the side of the pool. You have to climb out of the pool, then you have to climb up to the 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 springboard or or the tower again. So the, the amount of uh, jumps time. and, yeah. and the, the intensity in the training over the amount of somersaults you make is a lot smaller than in trampolining, compared with trampolining. Um, and in two years' time, those three became number one, two, and three at the youth national level
0: That's so cool. into,
1: uh, into diving. And what I also did as... Uh, besides the springboard into diving on the water, on the one meter board, I put rubber truck uh, bands and I made a certain podium, a sort of uh, flotation device. And if they had to learn a new skill, I was standing on that flotation device close to the athlete.
0: You could spot them.
1: So I could spot them because that was something not one diving coach could do. But gymnastics coach and trampoline coach, we he spot all, the, all time? the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I spotted them and all the diving coaches were looking at me. What is that? What's a weird guy is that? But those children I coached never fell flat on the water.
0: So they never had a bad experience.
1: They never had a bad experience. They always landed on their feet or on their head. And uh, I mean, the stories are numerous of people making reverse skills in diving and then yeah. touch with their hands or with their head the springboard. No, never did that happen with those three that built their self-esteem a lot. They had a lot of confidence. confidence, And uh, that's what I liked a lot about it, finding alternative ways of coaching.
0: And at some point, you uh, also became a a national coach, right? Yeah,
1: that was um, at the end of the 90s, I think. Halfway the nineties, at the end of the nineties, I became a coach of the national team. That was in trampolining. In or? trampolining, okay. yeah, trampolining. And um, because the guys in, co- in diving still thought that I was <laughs> the that weirdo who's was standing on flotation <laughs> device, and and into trampolining, I was becoming first a regional coach, and that was somewhere around the nineties, halfway the nineties because in 92 i had to uh, i started my um, military duty as a mm-hmm. physical therapist and then yeah um, if you stop coaching or if you stop training yourself then working starts if you if, if you study and your education is finished you have to work you have to make money and that was actually uh, the end of my athletic career but Automatically, it transitioned into uh, into a coaching career.
0: At some point, you also quit coaching, I guess, because now you don't—you're not a trampoline no, coach anymore. I'm
1: not a trampoline coach anymore. There were some minor set. You can call. I call it a minor. It was a major setback uh, mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. That I really in 2005. That I really thought that world of trampolining is not my world anymore.
0: And then you realized that you wanted to live in the normal world? Yes. I, I from my experience when I quit elite gymnastics for the first time, I just sat on the couch and didn't know what to do with all my free time. How did you experience that?
1: Um, I was yeah, I was working as a physical therapist. Yeah, that, that was my, my job. I, I worked as a physical therapist and I, and I, I did coaching. I, I filled up my time with coaching.
0: So you actually did coaching in your spare time and now you had your spare time as spare time. Yes. Oh, that's nice. And um, yeah, did it feel... Because you left the sport behind, I guess, at yeah. that point.
1: And uh, I left the sport more or less completely in 2007 when there were no athletes at the preliminaries in, in qualification for the Olympic Games so I quit completely in 2007 and a few years later I was asked by the club I coached at that time in, in those early 2000 years uh, they had They needed an extra coach because they had too many hours and the club was booming and uh, we had had their own gym and they asked me to start coaching again. Well, I said, okay, that's good. I will do that again, but only for a limited time, a limited time of two or three years and for a maximum of two nights a week. Because I had a son and I had a daughter and my daughter is 25 now and my son is almost 20. Uh, and I wanted to give my attention to them and to their education. And
0: So it went actually into a smooth transition of quitting your coaching career. Yeah. So overall, did you feel like you achieved everything you wanted to achieve in your athletic career and maybe your coaching career as well?
1: Looking back at it, I think I could have got more out of it. But on the other end... I think being a high-class, high-level athlete is the main purpose for me. Is not the result of a competition, but the progress, the road you you walk with your athlete. Sports is a meaning to become a better human. And if you if you are painting, you will not become a better human. Then the sports for me is not worth it if you come, become a world champion and being a painter, that's not the way I wanted to achieve that result. For me, it's being a better human, a good human being, is more important than the result.
0: As a, and, and that's your philosophy as a coach? As a coach, yeah. yes. And as an athlete, do you feel like you've achieved everything you wanted in your career?
1: Uh, mm, for the possibilities that were there by that time... I think I practically get ninety-five percent out of it. Um, I mean, I, it gave me the possibility to uh, to study physical therapy because I got an extra credit uh, because I had a, a, an athletic career behind me. It gave me the possibility to uh, to get a house in in Amersfoort when I was springboard diving. Uh, it gave me certain advantages. I always put it on, on my curriculum vitae. And based on the fact that you are a high-level athlete, you o- they always get your letter out of uh, uh, job applications. Because it is a certain special thing and people take it out. And then you have, when you go to a job application, you have something to talk about. So looking back at it, it gave me a lot of benefits. But yes, of course, it cost. All, it also had some costs.
0: And um, looking back, back at your career, I think that's a nice bridge. If you would give maybe your students right now, give some advice about um, what you've learned throughout the way, what advice would you give them? Or maybe yourself in your younger years?
1: You can never make it to the top of the Olympus on your own that's what I would, that that's the first you you popped up the question that's the first thing that comes up with my in my mind you need a physical therapist for your recovery you need a physical trainer for uh, to be in shape you need a a, a for your uh, nutrition um, so you need so many people around you as an athlete Um, and and of course your coach and a judge and and, and anything else Uh, you can't do it on your own so you need to be a social human being if you are a pain you will not make it
0: I think that's a nice way to end uh, the podcast (laughs) no I think I think that's a great great advice because that's something that you took from your experience yes and you're now trying to get across to others and I think that's very important.
1: I really believe in that. Yeah. Although other other people might believe otherwise, but I, th- I think that is really what's close to my heart.
0: And that's the most important thing mm-hmm. I guess. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This podcast was created, hosted, edited and produced by Annelette Bakker. And the music is We Are Free by Ixen.